Lord, like so many of the things that you taught, this passage seems to us to be counterintuitive. In fact, we really don't believe it. And uh, we need you to help us understand how it might actually be so. Persuade us by your spirit, we ask, that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I find this uh, passage slightly disconcerting. Uh, It's one of those passages that for our culture uh, is really very problematic. We try very hard to harmonise it with our lifestyle and our priorities and our values. We say things like, being wealthy isn't the problem, it's how you deal with your wealth that's the problem. If it gets in the way or if it makes you selfish or all these sorts of things. But Jesus is so unequivocal in the way that he speaks, it's, it's really quite disturbing. We'll look at exactly why that is as we go on. So the rich man who comes up to Jesus is a fascinating character because he's really the guy most of us guys want to be. I mean, he's young. I'll be in that. He's wealthy. Hey. And in another uh, of the Gospels it says he's a ruler. He's powerful. Well, if you've got money, you're powerful by default. He's not only young, wealthy and powerful, but if you listen to his response to Jesus about all the societal and religious expectations, he's saying, yep, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. Now, he's either completely deceived, which is a possibility, although he's done quite well in life, so maybe not, or he's actually quite a good bloke. Maybe he has actually fulfilled all the religious requirements. Maybe he is actually quite a good bloke and done quite well. I was trying to think of a parallel and I could think of two sporting parallels. Um, Some of you might remember a guy named Pat Rafter. He was a tennis player. I grew up in a tennis playing family and Pat Rafter was the champion par excellence because not only was he a fantastic tennis player, got to the top of his game, he was a genuinely humble, lovely man. It just seemed like he was a good bloke. Or more recently, I think... Ian Thorpe might have fallen into that category, a fantastic swimmer representing Australia, doing amazing, and just such a humble young man. Oh, you know, like swimming, it's pretty good, got big feet, you know, it's okay. He just, you know, got it all and a good bloke. That's the kind of guy we've got here. And yet, he's got it all, but he's looking for something. Isn't that funny? I've got it all, but I'm looking for something. So you haven't got it all by default, you know. Uh, he's, he's looking for something that's eluding him. His wealth and his power and even his youth is not enlivening him. It's not enriching him. It's not giving him what he can obviously see in this guy, Jesus. Like, you don't just go up to anyone and say, what must I do to get the thing I need? You see someone who's got that thing and you go... I need that. So he's seen something in this character, Jesus, and said, well, I'm young, I'm rich, I'm powerful, but I don't have that. What do I need to get that? And they're calling it eternal life. I I think you could, because I don't think it's a theological question for this guy. I think he's talking about life, you know, life that really is worth living, life that's really alive. That's what he's after. 
Now, I, I ref- was reflecting on that and I thought it was really sad that Ian Thorpe stopped swimming. Remember that? He kind of he lost the joy of it. He'd, he'd done everything he wanted to do. I, I imagine getting up early and swimming all those laps could get a bit boring, a bit tiresome. And um, it really didn't give him everything he needed. Not that he ever said it would, you know. I'm not, not suggesting that. But sometimes the things that seem to be so good for us, seem to be riding so high from the inside, yeah, they're not doing it. And I think that's the situation with this rich young man. The man saw in Jesus something he desperately wanted. Fullness of life, a rich life. Not riches, but a rich life. He knew the way his own life was configured it was not delivering that to him. So he had all those things that we would all chase after, but it wasn't delivering a rich life for him. And yet, and yet he could not let go of the way his life was configured in the hope of finding a way that would enrich him. This is the really critical, pivotal point. This is the rub with following Jesus. It's not sufficient to agree that Jesus is a good man living the life that we'd like to live and that he, he's you know, doing it in the right way and we think that he's fantastic and rah-rah Jesus and all that. If you do not follow him in that way, the real confession of your life is you don't believe that's the best way because we never fail to enact what we truly believe. Now you can... Think about that for a moment. We never fail to enact what we truly believe, what we truly value. We often want to make all sorts of stories around our behaviour to explain it away, but actually our behaviour reveals what we actually value, what we truly believe. So if you ever want to find out what someone believes, don't ask them what you believe. Look at the way they live. See where they invest their time, their energy, what excites them. Then you'll discover their heart beliefs, their heart values. Compared to this man who was wealthy and young and powerful, well, Jesus was young, he was 30, that's pretty young, and uh, he had nothing, so he wasn't rich in that sense, and he had no power except as a teacher. He was a powerful communicator. But something about him attracted this man and he saw Jesus as the man who had the life he wanted. I don't think it was a theological, you know, the way he explains the world makes sense to me. I just don't think that was it. I I think it was more compelling than that. It was something palpable, something powerful, something that Jesus modelled by the example of the way he treated people and lived his life and people saw in him that guy's really nailed it. That's the rich life. That's the thing that I want. Jesus did not react in fear. Jesus did not hedge his bets. He did not hold back anything good. He gave in love. He was genuinely free to give himself and to live his life in the way that he desired to that level of freedom. He did what he desired because he desired to give himself. And he was free to do that. And that is incredible freedom. No one had it over Jesus and there's no sign that Jesus wanted to hold anything over anybody else. 
that level of freedom. And I just want to pause for a moment and and ask you the question, who do you aspire to be? Who are the models that you look to in your life? And it doesn't matter what age you are. Who are the people that you think, yeah, that thing about that person, I'd like to be like that. I, I would love my life to resemble those values that way. Who's the person you think is really, really alive? It might be a person in history, somebody who's long died, but they're living because of the story, you know? Martin Luther or uh, Gandhi or who knows? I think that's one of the attractions of youth. Uh, We have this unbruised naivety and enthusiasm for life because we haven't lived long enough to become cynical yet. And that's why young people are so attractive. They're not cynical, they're kind of... I look at my kids and they just burst into stuff. You know, they, they don't know yet how dangerous life can be and how soon they might get hurt and all that sort of stuff. And it, there's something beautiful about it. It's liberating and we long for it. Jesus had this capacity, a radical attachment to life. He really lived his life. And I think that was because he had this radical acceptance of death. That sounds a bit odd at first. But you read the Gospels and the one person who knew how the story was going to end from very early on was Jesus. He knew where this thing was going. He accepted that he would die. We're reading a children's book, a series of books. Um, You might have heard of How to Train Your Dragon. It was a popular animation movie. There's 12 books, I think. And in one of them there's a classic line, he's found this book in the Harry Scary Librarian's library and uh, he opens it up and he says, whoever turns the next page will die. And the, the guy needs to read this book. He goes, oh, we all die sometime and turns the page and sure enough the next page says, well, we all die sometime. And there's a sense in which, yes, we all die sometime. It's, it's not the most comfortable idea to us so we like to hold it off. In reality, we all die or have the opportunity to die every day. Paul says, I die daily. We have these opportunities to let go of the framework that holds us in the configuration of the way we live our life. We can die to that and discover something beyond that. We can rehearse death and resurrection every day. We can enter into a conversation. I had a conversation the other day at the Apple store with a young guy, you know, you order something at the Apple store, they press a few buttons and they go, someone will bring it out. Okay. And you wait. And uh, we're waiting there and uh, we got into a conversation, what do you do, I'm a minister. Oh, and this guy, uh, he's a 20-year-old, asked this brilliant question. He said, what inspires your work with the church? I thought, I'm going to write that down, it's a great question. <laughs> and I didn't have to think for very long, I said, you know what, I just can't get over this guy, Jesus. I think he's incredible. I think the way he did life is absolute. And we had this conversation. And at so many points, I could have decided to be careful. I don't want to evangelise this guy, and I didn't. But he asked the question, so I told him. And we had this amazing conversation. We have all sorts of opportunities at all sorts of times. We don't let go of the things that we really treasure. Where our treasure is, our heart is, and those things become 
like magnetic north for us. We rotate around them. They become central to us. That's why conversations in Sydney for a long time have been about mortgages and renovations. Did you notice that? Maybe it's different here. Maybe you're not all homeowners. But when I was on the northern beaches, every conversation just about was your mortgage and your renovation, how you're improving your asset base, how much your net worth was, all that sort of stuff. It's just the thing. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart is. We don't give up that which is most important to our life. And this can be a limiting dynamic for us. It can actually hold us like it held the rich young ruler. He wanted the life. But he couldn't let go of the things that were holding him in his current life, even though his current life wasn't delivering life. Don't tell me that's logical. That's about fear and faith. Because he knew he, he didn't have what he wanted, even though he had moved to the top of the scale on all the measurements. He was young, he was wealthy, he was powerful, but he didn't have life. But he was going to opt to stay young, wealthy and powerful and give up on the life. Don't tell me that's logical. That's about fear and faith. The rich young ruler's frame did not allow him to follow Jesus. He couldn't let go. He couldn't become not wealthy. He couldn't sell his belongings. He couldn't give that away. Jesus beckoned him to come and he went, yeah, that's just, uh, maybe you don't have the life. Do you? Don't you? you can imagine that, you know, that's where the rub comes. Is that the life or is this the life? Well, I'm living this one and it's not delivering. He looks like he's got the life, but does he really? That's the rub. The thing that Jesus illustrated so powerfully throughout every aspect of his life in the stories of the gospel is that in losing your life, you find it. And the most troubling here is, in this passage, how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because rich people in this context are the people who have a little bit more than they need. That's rich. People who weren't just surviving, they weren't just putting food on the table, a roof over their head and clothes on their family. They had enough for the odd luxury here and there. They were rich. We don't, I was telling Joe about my talk and I run everything past Joe. she's my editor. And she said, you know, rich is a problematic word here because whenever we hear the word rich we think, I know some people that have more than I do, so I'm not really rich. And none of us have as much as Bill Gates or, you know, whatever. So we're not really rich. Think of those who have more than they need to get through today. That's the story of rich people in biblical times. It was a subsistence culture. And the thing about that is, it's the giving of yourself that is the moment that you enter the kingdom. And rich people have the luxury not to do that all the time. I was the chairperson of Sydney North Presbytery. Now I'm going to tell you some things that you're not allowed to repeat, especially you, Robin. <laughs> and Sydney North Presbytery did all sorts of really interesting ministry experiments. Uh, they, they ran um, eco-ministries and they supported 
One Heart Ministry and a, a number of different things. And they got a bit of a name for being this you know, radical, innovative presbytery for a while, or at least in their own heads they did. And my observation after being in the chair's role for three years was that Sydney North is an extremely wealthy presbytery and it doesn't mind spending some of its spare excess wealth on little projects here and there as long as it doesn't touch their core configuration, as long as nothing really actually changes. You see, that's what happens for rich people. We can always engage with our excess. We don't give of ourselves, we give of a bit that we've got over. You know, we, we do the family budget and we make sure we get all the things we want and then the colour TV and the new da 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 as well. I'm talking about myself, I'm not, not blaming anybody, I'm talking about me. And then out of the bit that we really, no, we could spend it, you know, extra ice cream here or nice dinner there, but we think, oh, we'll give that away. Aren't I good? <laughs> but the kingdom is about when it costs you, not, not, not in a stupid way, but when you give of yourself, when it means something, when it kind of doesn't have to hurt, because actually I don't think it does hurt. I think it's, a, it's an act of love, an act of delight, an act of self giving. But it's hard to self-give when you've got so much other stuff that you can give before you even get down to yourself. How hard it is for the rich to engage the kingdom. That's really hard. There's too much buffer zone between what we do and who we are, where we are. We hardly ever get beyond our safe zone because we have safe zones around our safe zones before we get to the really critical safe zone before it gets anywhere near us. I don't know about you, I've got chocolate squirrelled away all around my house in case I run out. And we do it with money and we do it with all sorts of things. We have these safe zones. I don't know if you heard Ian preach last week. The best sermon I've heard him preach, I've only heard him do a few, but I thought he was brilliant. And uh, he was talking about that and he went beyond his safe zone. He said some things that he wouldn't normally have said. What's that? Ian, Ian Avery. Yeah. And um, it was, for me, I felt the energy of him taking a risk and engaging and saying, I think he said that Jesus was having a rant and, and I could, it was a really nice way to describe some stuff and I felt the power of it. He was taking a risk. He was going out there and saying some things. He thought, I don't know how this is going to go with the people. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it feels right. And he went for it. And uh, in that moment, I think there's the, the richness that comes from going outside your safe zone. Nobody else can move us to that point. Nobody else can drag you kicking and screaming into a position of giving yourself because giving it yourself is of its very nature your decision to give yourself. Anything else is somebody abusing you and trying to take something you don't want to give. But when your heart desires to give, that is the beautiful moment. And as it says at the end there, God is no person's debtor. The disciples are very quick to go, hang on a minute, we've given up everything and Jesus says, you're not going to miss out. And there is a sense in which the resources of the people of the kingdom of God are abundant enough to care for all of us. You know, the earth is not a scarce place. 
we have abundant resources. The scarcity is manufactured to make pivot points for power, for control, to make one feel more secure than another and all that kind of stuff. The earth can feed the people of the earth adequately. Imagine if all the resources... I mean, this is blue sky dreaming, of course. No, no, hang on a minute. It's the kingdom of God where people actually do the thing which is good not to secure their position, not to make them one higher up than another or anything like that. They do the thing that is good because it's good to do, because it blesses. And we are fast coming to the point, this is the apocalyptic bit, fast coming to the point where if we don't make choices on the basis of that, we will destroy ourselves. We have the technology. We have the information. If we don't start looking after each other, we will start destroying or continue destroying each other and we've just gotten too damn good at it. We can do it now. We can destroy the planet. So we're just about out of time, so I'll I'll wrap it up quickly. (laughs) I think the rich young ruler offers to us a very, very powerful example of somebody who has everything that the culture says is desirable but doesn't discover those things to offer life in all its fullness. And then along comes this guy who has very little that the culture says we should be going after, and yet he seems to have this life. Jesus models that, and the, rule, the, the man says, what must I do to become more like you? And, you know, really interesting, Jesus says, just become more like me. Don't be so caught up with your stuff, just come along. He goes is there a way I could be more like me and like you? (laughs) And the answer is no. The answer is no. It's that clear. The good news is that no matter where you are today, no matter what decisions you've made up to now, no matter how your life is configured at this moment, you can always decide to follow Jesus. Now, I think it's harder the longer we put it off because we learn to trust the things that are familiar and the longer you live, the more familiar certain things become. So there's a challenge in that. But no matter who you are and where you are, you can decide to follow Jesus. And I'm not just saying become a Christian. I've been a Christian for 30-something years. Every day I need to decide to follow Jesus. In every conversation I need to decide to follow Jesus. Every time I open my wallet or my mouth I need to decide to follow Jesus. You can decide to give up on trying to gather the water of life in a leaky bucket that never gets filled and that is the the culture's way. It's always about fulfilment based on what other people are doing and you know what? You can never fulfil it. Whenever we compare ourselves to another, we will never be satisfied. We can decide to follow Jesus and experience for ourselves what that life is and what it offers to us. And my experience is there is nothing better. Losing your life in order to find it. And it's free. Accessible to anyone who wants to go there. If you want to hear all the other things I was going to say, come and talk to me about them. But we've run out of time. So let's pause and pray. 
Lord, we thank you that you are not a snake oil salesperson. You're not a charlatan. You didn't say one thing and then live another way. Your most powerful proclamation was in the way you lived, in the way you treated people, in the way you brought life in every conversation, in every interaction. No wonder people wanted to follow you. Lord, thank you that you live today in us and by your spirit and you beckon us to follow. And we confess that we struggle to believe that it is so, that you bring life. And so we want to have a foot in two camps and we taste the life and then we go back to our dead ways. Lord, liberate us to follow you in the fullness of your spirit. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen.